Hello and welcome to the podcast for leadership. This is chapter 14, Team Leadership from Leadership Theory and Practice 7th Edition by Peter Northhouse. All right, so we're going to talk a little about teams today and specifically leadership within teams. Uh, we had a podcast early in the semester that was focused on uh, team functions and talked a little bit about virtual teams and best practices in teams. So some of this, there's definitely connection and probably a little bit of overlap, but um, I would say, in general, this is uh, new ground we're covering here. So uh, we'll talk a little about the team leadership perspective, uh, the model they provide in your text, some different uh, definitions and ways to assess team effectiveness, some of the different decisions leaders have to make within teams, the actions they can take, they can choose from, and then a little bit about how the model works. So definitionally, and as I said, we mentioned teams previously in the semester, um, Teams reference a group of organizational members who are interdependent, share common goals, and coordinate activities to accomplish these goals. The key word for me in this is interdependence. Um, can't really stress that enough. There's a really a difference between uh, groups, uh, committees, um, you know, things of that nature, and teams. Teams have interdependence. And so my performance depends on you, and your performance depends on me. And to the degree that interdependence increases, uh, the more teamy the uh the, the group is um of course these can be face-to-face -face or virtual a lot of these are, are now using uh, various technologies uh, that allow uh, team interactions some outcomes for effective teams things that you look for to determine if a team is effective or not obviously greater productivity in terms of your outcome whatever your deliverable might be uh, more effective use of resources so more efficient maybe with your resources better decisions and problem solving, better quality products and services, and greater innovation and creativity. Um, okay, so a few more descriptions here in terms. Um, organizational culture needs to support employee involvement. One of the terms that's been used somewhat recently in literature is heterarchy instead of hierarchy. The idea being that in organizations that choose to use teams extensively, they generally flatten that organizational structure. There's fewer lines of reporting fewer uh, levels of, of uh, management, uh, less middle management. And as a result, like I said, you've got this kind of lower lower level of, um, of hierarchy and more what they call heterarchy. Um, team leadership is process-oriented. And um, one of the things we want to talk about, too, is shared versus distributed leadership. Um, I talked about this in the previous podcast, I think, on teams, the idea of shared leadership and emergent leadership where team members uh, take on leadership roles within the team. Sometimes those can be assigned. Sometimes they just emerge naturally as team members find niches or areas in which they feel like they can be most effective and useful. Uh, but certainly shared leadership is a big part of teams. A lot of this chapter, when you read it, it, it kind of gives the impression that you're talking about a leader outside of the team who is responsible for that team. And that's certainly one way this can work. It can also work if you have a leader assigned who is actually a team member who is the leader for the team. And then you can also have, like I said, kind of a shared or distributed leadership model within the team. And, and this model will still work, although you have to kind of tweak it a little bit when you start thinking about it in terms of if each member has responsibilities for leading the team. And we'll talk about that. Um, okay, so the model uh, we're, I'm going to show you here in just a minute. There's a there's a I think it's Figure 14.1 maybe I don't know in the text um, talks about the different 
um, stages of leadership within the team and what leaders are responsible for doing. Um, one of the things is obviously diagnosing potential problems, current problems, potential problems, deciding whether or not to take action, whether or not to take that action internally or external, externally. Um, a lot of this begins with the team leader's mental model for the team. This is a term you may not have heard of. It's kind of an academic type term, but it's basically the script that the leader has for how the team should be functioning. So leaders, particularly as they become more expert with time and have done more leadership, they start to form in their minds a map, a roadmap of how teams should function. They have an expectation of what should be going on at what stage. Um, and it's really difficult for a lot of leaders to put this into words. Like if you ask them what their model in their mind for teams are, they can't tell you, but they have one. And when we do imaging, we can kind of see the brain activating some of this stuff. But anyway, they've got a model. And then so what they're constantly doing is comparing what they're seeing in their team to the model they have of how things should be working and looking for deviations. Um, and so you, you'll see this um, when, when leaders are uh, in charge of teams. So here's the model I was talking about, 14.1. Um, you've got leadership decisions to be made. There's three types of decisions to be made, and we'll reference this more in a little bit. But the leader has to decide whether they need to monitor the current team's actions or they need to take some specific action themselves. They have to determine whether the action they take is task-related or more relationship-oriented within the team and whether the actions they take need to be focused on the internal functioning of the team or externally to the team. So support groups, stakeholders, agencies outside the team. So from there, um, if they take an internal action, it gives you a list of some of the options, whether task or relational you can choose. Or if they're external, it talks about some of the different environmental actions leaders can take. And ultimately, this should lead to improved effectiveness. When we talk about effectiveness, we're talking about either performance and or development. Um, see if I have a, I don't think I have one here. So when we talk about performance and development, Performance is usually the deliverable, so better solutions, better products, better services, you know, um, whatever whatever that team is assigned, that's the outcome that's being measured. Development really talks more about the team's satisfaction level. How is the team functioning? Are people satisfied? Are they content? Is the team cohesive? Because unless it's a one-off team that's only going to meet one time for one project, you have to build some sort of continuity where team members can work together again in the future. And hopefully their performance will actually improve over time if they stay on that same team. Um, one of the things I don't feel like this model talks about in this chapter, and I wish it did more, is the time that needs to be spent on um, selecting and um, getting your team oriented. So being very thoughtful about who you put on the team, the structure you create, um, all that stuff that should go on the front end. Because a lot of the research we have shows that that front end time you spend is some of the most important time of the entire team process. And that a lot of teams, uh, a lot of organizations skip that front end. They just kind of put people together and say, go. And the results they get aren't great. If they would have spent just a week on the front end being a little more thoughtful in who they put on the team and how they allow those people to develop their norms and how they'd allow them to develop their processes, the team would have been a lot more successful. So anyway, back to team effectiveness. Um, there's some different, you know, if you say, what does an effective team look like? Here's some different things we've looked at the research that tends to correspond to effective teams. So when you have a team that's viewed as effective, these are the characteristics you'll often see. Um, 
so anyway, I'll, I'll run through some of these, but, but here's the list. Uh, clear and elevating goal. Uh, if you've got a team where everybody knows what the vision is, what the goal is, and um, how they're being evaluated, what's important, that's, that's step one. Results-driven structure. Are you choosing a structure um, that fits with the task and the team? You know, uh, a triage team in an ER should not probably be using the same structure as a creative team in an advertising agency. Um, you know, they both are working as a team, but the structures they use in terms of how they communicate with one another, the timing of what they do, the feedback they're giving, that's all going to be very different depending upon the task that they're engaged in. So you have to pick a structure that fits the task and the team that you're, you're, you're leading. Uh, competent team members. This should go without saying, but it's difficult to have a good team if your team members are incompetent. Um, you know, if you don't have quality players, it's hard to win. Um, you need talent. You need people who are not only talented, but are talented in the right areas. That They have skills and abilities that match what you need for that specific team and that people are in the roles on that team that they should be in based on their skills and ability. A lot of times people pick you know, the four most talented people and they put them on a team, but their talents may not create a good synergy. Right? They may not be complementary. You may have redundancies. So you may end up having somebody who's super talented in one area, but they're working in an area that's not really their area. Well, you kind of defeated the, the purpose there. Um, sorry, I jumped here. A unified commitment. Teams need to be carefully designed and developed with a sense of unity or identification. This is sometimes called team spirit or cohesion. Teams need to be going in the same direction. They need to feel a sense of we. Um, they need to feel like the team's outcomes are more important than their own at some level. And some of that is a function too, and we'll talk a minute about the importance of support structures. The organization has to create a climate and a culture and a reward system that acknowledges teamwork above individualism. If your, if your organization is heavily leaning towards individualism, it's going to be very difficult to get teams functioning well. And that is something I see over and over and over again um, when I do consulting work is a lot of organizations will want to put teams in place because they think it's a great idea. But their st current structure, their climate, their culture, the way they operate is not really team-oriented. So when you put teams in place, people are you know, not really buying in to the commitment of the team because it, it's, it's um, foreign to the, um, the way in which the organization typically operates. Um, I think I may have told you, but one time I was working with a group and we put in some teams for a, C a CVS pharmacy at a distribution warehouse. And we told CVS that probably was not going to be very effective based on some polling we had done with the, 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 uh, the current employees and managers. But they wanted it anyway, so we put it in place. But within about six to nine months, they ended up taking it back out because it wasn't very effective. Nobody wanted to work in teams because the organization uh, at other levels was not really supporting that. Anyway, collaborative climate, you want to be able to build a climate that, that like I said, supports honesty, trust, consistency, those sorts of things. Um, standards of excellence. Team members need to know how they'll be assessed. They need to know what the expectation is. Those things need to be measured and feedback needs to be provided. You need to know whether or not you're hitting your metrics or not. You need to know what it is the organization you know, values. And then, like I said, external support and recognition, um, you know, the organization, in a larger sense, needs to be providing proper support. That can be in terms of climate and culture. It can also be in terms of resources. 
um, you know, you've got to properly resource your teams for them to be successful. Okay, and the last thing is principal leadership uh, influences team effectiveness through four different sets of process. So generally speaking, effective teams have principal leaders, and this involves leaders who, from a cognitive standpoint, can help their team understand what they're supposed to be doing. From a motivational standpoint, can get their people moving in that direction so they see value in what they're doing and are motivated to try to achieve it. From an affective standpoint, they can provide um, proper coaching and proper um, handling of stress and activities that are going to go on in that team. They can manage the relational stress and the task stress that's going to come through um, by providing clear goals and making people feel um, comfortable and competent in what they're doing. And then from an integrative standpoint, they need to be able to coordinate activities. So this is the organizing part of the leader, right? You've got to be able to coordinate who's doing what, when it needs to be done, the timelines, um, the communication methods, um, and providing feedback. So the first decision, and this goes back to that that um, 14.1 from the textbook, um, the, the chart there. The first decision the leader has to make is, should I monitor the team or do I take an action? Um, and I'm reminded right now of, um, you know, recently this week in college basketball, there was a, you know, a big sting operation, if you've been following the news, where the FBI got involved and arrested some coaches and different things. Well, at Auburn, one of their assistant coaches got arrested, and I was, I was interested because um, the athletic director at Auburn has been kind of in hot water um, well, I don't know if hot water is the right word, but um, the athletic director has not been seen as very effective in recent times. There's been several kind of scandals. Um, there have been some, uh, some, um, some things that have not been handled well. So anyway, but they have a new university president. And so I was really interested with this, you know, scandal coming through now at Auburn, you know, this concern, you know, how was the president going to handle this? Was he going to let the athletic director and the athletic department and take the lead on this or was the president going to step in and intervene and and take action himself and so this kind of goes along with this model right here we're talking about you know leadership decision should the leader monitor the team or takes action the president of the university is in effect um, oversees the athletics department and so although the athletics director is the leader of that department the president is 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 his supervisor so i was i've been watching and and so far it looks like the president is choosing to um, strategically intervene rather than allow the athletic director to um, take action solo so my guess is that the president for auburn has been uh, as it shows here in your slides diagnosing analyzing and trying to forecast problems that are going to arise from this fbi investigation you know is but outside of the immediate impact it's having at the university what is the long-term impact of this um and and looking at problems possibly within the athletic department do they need new leadership do they need new processes are they functioning the way they should be so some monitoring and so, and possibly taking some action also uh, effective leaders have the ability to determine what interventions are needed, if any, and solve the problems. Um, leaders differ in the timing of when they take action. It also depends on the uh, action that needs to be taken, right? So here's the two-by-two two matrix that comes up as a result of this um, process. You've got, you know, do you monitor or take action, and do you do that internally or externally? Um, 
And so you can you take a look at that. Again, it's 14.2 in your text. Second decision, should I intervene to meet a task issue or a relational need? Um, so in the example I was given at Auburn's Athletics Department, it could be that there are relational problems within the department. Um, currently, it looks like it's possibly a task problem, that they are not at providing adequate oversight um, for some of the things, coaches and stuff going on within the department, and that's a task issue. So um, the, you know, the president is having to decide, is this a task issue or a relational issue if I just decide to intervene? And then if I do, you know, what actions obviously will I take? Um, to depend on whether it's task or, or relational. Uh, and then should the person intervene inter internally or externally? Um, and does the leader need to make changes kind of within the, the team? Or is it, is it problems outside the team that are affecting the team's ability to be effective, right? So are they not being resourced properly? Are they not being supported, etc.? Um, so that's something that they have to determine as the leader. So the actions the leader can take, you know, if it's internal, and it's task versus relational. If it's task, you know, it might be something like refocusing the team on the goals, structuring, facilitating, maybe changing some team membership, providing training, you know, whatever you need to do to get them on the right track in terms of attacking the task. If it's relational, it may be something like they need more coaching and mentoring. Maybe they need some training in how to manage conflict or build cohesiveness as a team, you know, things like that. Um, and then if they take external action, it could be things like advocating for the team, um, providing networking opportunities, maybe helping to support and negotiation efforts or sharing some information with other stakeholders that could help the team, things of that nature. Um, okay, so moving on here. So that's the basic gist for this chapter in terms of their team leadership model. And like I said, I like it in general. There's a few things I think it leaves out. Um, I don't think it focuses enough on the, the creation of the team, and I think it focuses more on almost like uh, and, and hierarchical or external leader as opposed to like shared leadership within the team, which I think has a little bit different flavor. Um, so those are some of the criticisms of it. It does provide a nice cognitive map um, of group needs and offers uh, suggestions for how leaders can think about what they need to do in terms of decision-making for the team. Um, let's see. Um, so the model is a little incomplete, as we talked about, may not be practical all the time. Um, fails to consider teams that have distributed leadership. And that's what I was saying, where um, distributed and shared leadership is not really talked about as much in this chapter. All right, that's it. Hope you enjoyed team leadership.